Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the gaming industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to learn about our online digital events. We have some amazing sessions with people in the gaming industry, and you can participate for free and purchase inexpensive passes to our industry-leading business-to-business system. Now, here we go, Indie Game Business. My name is Indy, and that gentleman next to me is Mr. Jay Powell from the Powell Group Consulting, and this is Friday's episode, well, it's always Friday's episode, of Indie Game Business. So happy Friday, everybody. Today, our special guest is Lauren from Squeenix, and if you don't know what Squeenix is, that's the old school name for Square Enix. Uh, I don't even know if people use that anymore. I was but- oh, no, they do. I just didn't know if Definitely we could use do. it publicly. That was the... Uh- <laughs> oh, well... I'm a rebel, right? Look at me. Uh, so uh, the title of today's episode is Indie Game Publishing and What Working with a Publisher Could Look Like for an Indie Team. But you know what? We're just going to scratch all that because I know nobody wants to know anything about that. And, uh, oh, wait. April Fool's? Oh, it's not April, is it? No, we're really, we're going to talk about that. So, Lard, welcome to the show. We're going to start in our favorite place ever. And tell us how you got into the industry initially and then walk us through what you've done up to this point oh right okay um i feel like that's kind of a boring story to be totally it's honest never a boring guys. story trust <laughs> me. Mm-hmm. um so i didn't uh start i guess my when i was a youth i didn't have um i didn't imagine that there was a place for me in the games industry or indeed what the games industry looked like uh when i left university uh which ironically i did a degree in media production and i am a producer now lauren can you unmute in discord please uh i am unmuted in discord oh wait i have you muted that's why it's a red line it's me never mind never mind never mind that's why i tell everyone to slide the volume down because it looks muted to me and i and oh my goodness never mind me i'll go back to what i was doing so you have a degree (laughs) you got a degree in media production and now you're a producer so okay but those two things, uh, there's like, uh, you know, about six years between those two things happening and they were not connected uh, whatsoever. Um, when I left university, I worked the kind of normal rubbish graduate jobs, just kind of like one after the other, going from one miserable job to the other um, until I finally ended up working as a um what was my job title? It was like a financial administration remediation something. And at that point I had had enough. I had absolutely just, I had it, I took my back teeth. And I had a couple of friends who worked in the games industry. Obviously I've been a lifelong gamer myself. Um, And my friend who worked at an indie studio said, hey, we might be looking for an intern. And I was like, quit my job, moved back in with my parents, 
I was like, I'll be your intern, like, just teach me everything you know. Um, and yeah, I, I started at that um, small studio. I think there was about 10 people there when I started as an intern. When I left um, three, almost four years later, uh, there was about 40 people working there and uh, two studios, one in Newcastle, one in London in the UK. And that's when I moved to London myself to, to join Squire at the, on the collective team. And I've so been there how, ever since. <laughs> it's funny because we always, when, when I was doing the publishing thing 20 some years ago, like QA was always where our producers came from because there is no track back then anyway to being mm -hmm. a producer. And so yeah. if you were in our QA or evaluation team and you could communicate on any basic level, I mean, the bar was pretty low on the communication side, but then you would just like randomly get bumped up to producer when we had too many titles for the other producers to, you know, go from. Mm. How did you learn all the basics about how to be a good producer um yeah i mean like firstly i totally agree i think qa is a great place for people to identify whether they want to work in production because uh in qa you have such a like a good i like you get a great sense of how where a game goes from start to finish and one of the most key processes in the production pipeline as well as i think most qa People are really, really good at time management, task tracking, detail orientated, which are all things that I think make a good producer. But for me, um, I've always been, I guess, like motivated, nosy and a bit organized. So although I originally started as an intern programmer, I was um, thinking maybe I'll be a programmer. I wasn't very good at that because I'm not very smart, but I was pretty good at keeping on top of what everyone else was doing and helping people unblock their problems, which is when I started assisting with the production process, helping uh, track the status of the games that we were working on and uh, the client projects we were working on, as well as being a literate email writer, I guess. And, and you know, I mean, the bare minimum. Far <laughs> low, yes. Yeah. And, you know, it, I guess from there, I just started taking on more and more responsibility. And as the studio grew, we needed to add more process. That's when I started doing more reading around what producers do, what pro like more general project management stuff, which people use in like software development as well, trying to apply that to our processes internally in the studio. And um, I did like a scrum master course as well, um, which was pretty cool. That helped. It was great that my studio sponsored me to do that. Um, and, you know, I've just learned everything that I've learned on the job, um, you know, hopefully not failing upwards, but definitely making mistakes and learning from them, but uh, getting better every time, I think. And, and that is, that's the reality. That's why we do, you know, this show and these conferences and everything, because that's where a lot of us ended up learning this stuff. It's like, I, I was a producer and then an executive producer on titles. And, you know, like you, I, not the brightest. So I, I've tried the programming side that was not going to work because it has math in it and I don't do that um, then I'm not overly organized I love setting up processes and then I forget all about them and, and don't use them so that was never going to work either so that's when you get to be a consultant because <laughs> you don't fit into any of the other stuff so how much I mean there's so much more that goes along with being a good producer you've got to keep the project on track as, as mm. close and on budget on target that sort of stuff 
but you've also got to keep your team in a sane scenario and, and manage personalities and, and people as well. Yeah. How much of that did you end up learning on the job? And, and what do you feel that breakdown is between we're keeping this much of my job is keeping the game on track. This much of my job is to make sure my people don't burn out and, you know, lose their minds. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's hard. I don't think that anyone has all of the right answers for how to do that because every, even with the same team, different um, titles and different stages of production, there's different challenges that you have to attempt to overcome. And I think the best way that you can do that is for me, um, was just always leading with um, empathy and, you know, trying to work with people if there was a blocker they were having, whether that was in their role or in their personal life that was, you know, kind of try and work around and with people rather than just work through them, uh, which is often forgotten, especially uh, when deadlines are looming. Um, yeah. And, you know, one thing that's like hard learned is, um, when is the right time to like stand up to um, like senior leadership as well? Um, this isn't old stuff that's like necessarily relevant in my current role in publishing, but stuff from working like in indie development itself. Um, you know, there are times where I think that if you feel like you've exhausted every route that you can to do what you were told that you needed to do, there is always room for pushback and you know got to stand up for your team and if the team's not happy then at the end of the day they're not going to be doing the best work that they can um so yeah it's hard i don't think there's an answer to that honestly um just but no, that, that, that's a fantastic answer to that because that's exactly you know what has to happen and, and one of the other parts that goes along with why i'm not a producer anymore is a lot of times i don't have that empathy mm -hmm. that you need to be able to do it matter of fact, my friends who I was good enough at it that I never like got completely fired for it or they kept pulling stuff on me, but it became a running joke that, you know, I would, cause I was doing the business side too. And I would sign a mm. deal and then go in and go, Hey, we got this new game to produce. And James is sitting there looking at me going, I'm already producing three games. And I'm like, you can handle it. Don't worry about yeah. it. And, and so, I mean, having that ability is something that's, it's very key to, you know, getting the job done and getting it done properly because it doesn't do a project any good at all if you know everybody's fried and and exhausted and at the same time yeah you've got to go and you know stand up and and fight for your team and i've always i've been, had the luxury of working with producers who were not afraid of doing that and but that's not something that's a good fit for everybody i mean yeah. you do need to be confrontational from time to time yeah, it's a, it's a mix of like being confrontational and having good conflict management skills. And I, I think like not to like segue it a bit, but this is but where... The show is complete segues. So okay. <laughs> um, but like one thing that I think is really important and like super, super does help with um, exactly what you're talking about, you know, kind of like burnout, meeting deadlines, um, like conflict is um, if you have a diverse team, you have people who have experiences from um, different walks of life or people who are in different stages of their life, you know, some people with kids, uh, some 
some people um, with um, perhaps whether uh, that's disabilities, uh, mental health, uh, different personal circumstances that you need to be taking into account and um, in order for them to be able to deliver the best work and, you know, excel in what you hired them for and you know whatever it was you identified was awesome about them in the first place and they can't do that if you try and measure everyone with the same stick right and getting that feedback from various different kinds of uh, people will help you continue to run a empathetic and healthy team rather than you know like not every game studio is going to be your like five mates who graduated university and are at the exact same stage of life from the same background. And when you try and expand the team and bring new people in, you're wanting to bring them in for like their talent and their creativity and their, their hard work and drive, but they're not at the same, at the same place. You know, you have to work with them to, to get the best out of them as well. So how many of this is always, cause I know the number in my head that we used to always dump on, <laughs> dump on producers. How many game projects do you typically manage at once? Um, in my current role, I'm managing ooh, two right now. Um, but it depends on the size of the project and also where the project's at and its life cycle, right? There are some projects that are going to be winding down where you're not, there are not like massive amounts of work to be done. Uh, some projects ramping up where you're not quite there yet. Um, I, I wouldn't want to be in the middle of three at once, but I could you know, be handling one in the middle, one at the start, one at the end, um, as long as they're, it's all balanced. <laughs> but, but that is always the trick. So you've got a wonderful insight into the mind of an indie developer. You worked as an indie developer. Now, you know, the games that you work on with Square Enix Collective, it's not necessarily Final Fantasy. It is the it's smaller. It's definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> so to be clear. What skills especially if someone's is coming out of university or wanting to get into the job or they're in QA somewhere else they want to get into production you know we've talked about communication and attention to detail and empathy what other skills either hard skills or soft skills should people have if they want to take this route as well and be a producer for for indie teams indie games um producer indie teams um that's a good question um i think communication skills are probably the most important for a producer um one analogy that i, I was like doing a talk for like a indie startup cohort last month um, which was really interesting a lot of the questions were really illuminating for me in terms of the kind of things that indie teams are worrying about and um but one of the analogies that i made when i was trying to describe to them the role of a producer in a team is that like if game development is this engine and um artists writers programmers ui game designers um they're all different various mechanical parts of the engine the producer's just the oil that um, makes sure everything doesn't get clogged up or stalled and it makes sure everything is running smoothly because uh, without it yeah you could get from a to b with your car and that engine right but like it's not going to be a smooth ride is it and it's probably gonna you know 
smell a bit and it'll take a little bit longer and um, it'll be harder to drive. Definitely. <laughs> that is a wonderful analogy. I mean, the, the part you left out there is that the entire engine could seize up on your way to wherever you're going. And yeah. It never and help. it'll cost a lot more to fix as well. <laughs> yes. Yes. That is a fantastic. I had never heard it described like that, but yeah, that is actually a, a fantastic, which, you know, goes into another segue and probably should have started here in the first place, but you know, whatever. Um, why, why do indie teams, if it's just like three, four or five people, why do they need a producer? Um, that's, a, that's like also a question that we get asked all the time. And, um, because when you're an indie team and you're either, um, working on your own budget or um, an amount you've raised, it's obviously the most important thing is to make sure you have enough budget to cover the resources needed to take the game to the end of development, right? And, you know, a producer tangibly doesn't necessarily contribute to making anything on that title. However, when you come to, uh, you know, communication between different team members, scheduling, making sure that there are no blockers and no one person is blocking another person from doing their tasks, down to um, if you want to work with a publisher, um, there are a lot of admin overheads, I guess, that a publisher will need from you. And a lot of there's a lot of stuff that goes into making a game that isn't making the game if you want to get that game out to market. Um, so, you know, if you're working with the publisher, and I, you know, I could, I feel like I'm just saying this from my own experience as, you know, working at a publisher is the things we, we need from the, the teams are, um, you know, we need milestone updates, um, content that goes with each milestone deliverable. We need someone who's responsible for understanding what the QA and delivery pipeline is for builds from, you know, them to QA and what the process is, making sure that regression is being done properly and someone's taking a look at that. Um, localization as well uh legal too if there's you know for example if you have any third-party assets in in your game like who's the person who's taking responsibility for making sure you're not breaking the terms of service by having those in your game when it gets released and you're not going to get like your ass sued like later down the line for not having the right legal lines um just lots of stuff like that stuff that might not sound important but kind of is um and our, our job as producers is to let the creative people um, be creative and spend all of their time working on making something awesome. And, you know, we do our best to help people do that because um, not everyone likes looking at spreadsheets and not everyone <laughs> likes uh, changing Gantt charts or things like that. <laughs> Did you update your Euro this morning? So, yeah. Was... I, I update my Jira every day, Jay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, a, a good question from Joker Vases. Is the producer usually one of the original main team members, a third party, the social media lead, or are they usually the team lead slash CEO? There's like, in an ideal world, you don't necessarily want your producer to have a conflict of interest with any other roles that require um, an opinion or responsibility. You want to have your producer be objective in, um, balancing uh not responsibilities but like uh, you know uh balancing things that are important to make sure that the right things are, are, are moved on and but that's not always the case in indie development most 
teams wear many hats and even on our team we wear many hats i'm not just a producer working on the pipeline like development pipelines of our projects uh we also do a bit of biz dev in scouting and you know things like that um i would say in my experience um most teams don't start with a producer and uh, we have to ask them to hire a producer or we have to um ask them if they have plans to have someone take responsibility on this and whether they've accounted that overhead into their development timeline um it's great to see when people do have producers and uh if producers do take on another role or like whether that's a writer or a ceo etc but often no <laughs> often no <laughs> the uh worst combo that I've ever experienced personally was the producer who was also the game designer. So oh when gosh, everything yeah. comes up and it's like, oh, well, maybe we should do this feature. Well, then of course that feature got put in because that person was also the game designer. And then everybody else is looking around going, well, we need to ship this at some point. Yep. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, you do have to be very careful of that that conflict of interest in there. That's um, it, exactly. So, well, that actually covers the next question I have of why getting a producer is probably a good idea, even on an indie scale. The, But this kind of gets into something as well. It's important to go and make sure that when you're hiring an, a producer as an indie team, that there are other things that that person's going to be able to yeah. do because it's not a 40 hour a week job to manage one indie project mm. well, you'd be surprised but not, not why not, yes not, not, <laughs> if you're working with a publisher um and you have like your team is like four people you have like one artist one programmer one some you know multi-hat person and another artist or programmer maybe um I would still personally see there being enough work if that team went to a publisher and were being paid by a publisher to um, make the game, that there would be enough for that person to do on day to day. However, it's not going to be the right fit for every team. Uh, I clearly have a personal bias being a producer myself. Um, I will always find enough work to do um, to make things easier for the teams that I work with. There's always more that can be done. And, you know, if someone is a full-time producer, like you say, there's no reason why they can't necessarily contribute in other areas if that's what the team needs. But, um, yeah, maybe I'm not the best person to answer that question because I'm pretty biased. <laughs> it brings up another good question, though. And what ex explain the difference and how things changed when you went from being the developer producer to the publisher producer right so i would say like although i have the same job title i don't do the same job i had to basically learn everything that i do now in my role um as a producer on the publishing side uh from what i did when i was uh part of the development team uh, so I guess to keep it extremely brief, because I think if anyone else is a producer, they'll know that this question could take forever to answer. I could go on and on and on. But um, a development producer, like like we talked about before, looks after the health of the team, makes sure the project runs on time, makes sure no one's unblocked, manages the resource, manages the 
schedules and tries to stop scope creep. Uh, also facilitates communication with uh, senior leadership or stakeholders uh, or clients if they're working for a client. Um, on the publishing side, uh, I'm sort of the uh, go-between uh, Square Enix and, or, you know, whoever, whatever publisher you're working with, um, and the development team. So I work with the development team up to signing um, to make sure that, you know, the development agreement has everything. We do like our due diligence, risk logs, you know, everything during that particular process. But live on the project itself, I, um, you know, keep in touch with the dev team day to day. I uh, do milestone approvals. So make sure the game is running on the time that we expect it to. And if it seems like it's not, I do everything that I can to help the team uh, get back on track or we um, adjust accordingly depending on what the right route is. Uh, we are the uh, facilitator of getting our games into QA. So we help work with Square Enix's AAA QA team and we put all of our indie titles through that. So there's a lot of facilitating in that process, uh, as well as when the game is ready for release, um, we facilitate the relationship between platform holders as well. So we talked to Sony, Nintendo, Microsoft to get the game on console platforms. We set it up. Uh, some teams uh, want porting help. So sometimes we are the facilitator between the development studio and the porting studio, making sure everything's running on time. Um, oh my God, there's a million things I do. I do so many things and none of them are the same as what I used to do um, on the dev team. Uh, yeah. Uh, we help them manage their timelines uh, with marketing as well, um, because that's a whole other thing that publishers provide that indie teams uh, can make use of, and they don't necessarily um, know where to put that or how to make the right time in their schedule for that as well. So, yeah, there's a lot to do. <laughs> Lauren and Dan can see me like backstage laughing and grinning, but the rest of you can't when they have... Because I love that answer because as much as we get the question of, well, why do I need a producer? And I get questions from like our investor clients. So they're like, why do I need a producer? And I'm like, well, because somebody has to look out for your interest you know, in this process. So there is this whole, I don't know if I even need it, but at the same time, if you sit down like you just did and you listed everything that you do and you put it into a job description and posted it, you would get absolutely torched on the internet for somebody for assuming that one person can do all that. And it's like, that's not, yeah. that's too much stuff, but that's what being a producer is. There's a whole lot of it that people just don't normally see. Yeah, and the best producer's work goes unseen because it means everything is going to plan. Everything's running on time. No one needs anything. No one's blocked. Um, that's my goal, to be as invisible as possible, and no one has to hear from me. <laughs> so we've got a, a question for YouTube. Is it harder to find a publisher when you don't have a producer yet because they find that more risky? No. Um, not all teams we work with uh, or sign have producers, uh, although that might be a recommendation that we make depending on our risk assessment or what we see when we do our due diligence process. Um, not having a producer is not, it doesn't make it any harder um, if you can prove that you've mitigated the risk of 
having someone be able to manage all the admin stuff around developing the game, if that makes sense. Um, and of course, I'm only speaking from uh, my experience on the collective team. Perhaps other publishing uh, houses might have a different opinion to this. I haven't ever heard of anyone saying that they wouldn't sign a game because the team didn't have a producer. And often um, a lot of the people that we talk to in um, uh, different publisher circles are like, uh, the producers don't have anything to do with the signing process. We are quite an unusual case, actually. Um, I've from what I understand, most indie publishers have, um, you know, uh, business development specialists, people whose job it is to be really smart at business. Um, and they are not necessarily the same people who understand the importance of having a producer, what that will mitigate, uh, or necessarily in tune with what a producer would look at a plan and see. Um, but I, you know, I can't speak to other, uh, other companies um processes so yeah it's not it's it's not that different i mean the good indie publishers do but it's funny because what you just described is exactly you know what i did back in the day when i was bouncing between being a producer or an executive producer and doing the biz dev side of it is, is if you don't have that broader perspective on things then yeah you're going to go as the business person you're going to go sign a bunch of deals and you're not going to have any support for it and at this on the flip side if you're going at it straight from the production side you may be signing some safe titles but if they're not going to hit a market and make the right amount of money then everything's doomed in, in the first place yeah uh, go, go ahead sorry Oh, no, I, I was um, just thinking, like, you know, I've uh, talked with uh, colleagues that I've worked with who in the past places they've worked, um, like you say, uh, the Game Scouts or BizDev guys would just drop titles that they had signed on the producer's lap. And then the producer is just looking at this kind of like, you know, burning PowerPoint presentation, like, how can I do anything with this? You know, it was doomed for that it, essence sometimes is doomed from the start so yeah god i hope none of my old producers are watching this right now <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure they've had lots of therapy and they're over it by now well i mean we we would jokingly recall it and i wasn't as bad about it as you know that my boss was but we called it seagulling because they basically fly in and shit on your project and they fly away and so that's mm -hmm. um that's or in my case drop shit on your desk and then go You have got to check out our Discord at discord.gg slash business. It's an amazing community of over 3,500 other industry experts. We've got developers, publishers, marketing and PR firms, investors, so, so many, so many. It's safe and supportive place to network and to talk to experts. You can learn more about the business of games or you can share what you know with others. We have exclusive workshops on perfecting your pitch deck finding a publisher and more remember it's discord.gg slash indie game business um so thomas from linkedin says as an indie team owner how much money should be dedicated to the average producer to ensure the project is profitable Oh, um, I mean, I wouldn't really have an opinion on this if I'm being perfectly candid. Um, 
surely the amount of um, money you pay your producer is relevant to what the project is, what work you're wanting them to do, and what what geographical area you're in. The the amount of experience that producer has. Um, I don't know. I'm so sorry. It's, that's a terrible answer. Um, you know, depends on what you need. Uh, I, I guess I would say ask around, um, look for recommendations. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. It, it's one of those things that, I mean, yeah, obviously where you are in the world and the experience level of the person is going to matter. But production is also one of those areas that you can bring someone who's never technically done it before and they can do perfectly fine as long as they have the right soft skills. And yeah, it, that's one of the, the unique things about production is, is yes, there are times that you can bring somebody who does have that good experience in QA or something like that. And if they have the right skills, they can do it. And you'll, it'll be a little cheaper. The important thing is that you have, have one and that they are good at it. That's the, that's the yeah. biggest thing. I, I think if you were bringing someone with little or no experience in that specific role, um, my recommendation would be to still open up as much time as possible outside of working on development to work with them to make sure you're continually having conversations about what is and isn't improving your pipeline. Like producers don't want to add friction to the process. And that's a misconception that I've had from a lot of indie developers, um, some that I've worked with, um, more that I haven't, that uh, producers don't do shit and they're just pointless because they don't contribute to the game being made and they, they just add pointless process. And if your producer is adding pointless process, then you need to figure it out and stop that from happening because all of the process should lead to less time being spent in meetings and uh, less time being spent on documentation. Um, your reviews should be like smooth and the results of those reviews should be clear for everyone to understand what the next steps will be right and you know if it's taking adding more time on and and it's frustrating everyone and it's giving everyone more overheads like you know there's we we joked about jiras before but like the the reason why like i think lots of devs don't like jiras is because they don't understand why they have to spend time doing this extra stuff and it's part of the producer's job on that team to make sure everybody completely understands where their role is in the cycle and why every task that they're being asked to do matters. Because if no one knows what they're doing, then they're just going to obviously feel resentment because like, this is time I'm wasting that I could be doing something else rather than, oh, I have to do this because it contributes to this, the wider functioning of the team. And if I don't do this, this is going to cause someone else time later down the line. That was a long answer. I don't, I don't remember where I started on that. <laughs> so it's all good. I mean, it goes hand in hand with that wonderful comment that I'm sure that you get at a lot of conferences with consumers where it's not, you're not a real game developer. You're a producer. And it's I've like, seen that said before, uh, but I mean, I, I don't really try. I don't talk to players much. So um, <laughs> I let, I let the smiley, amazing, charismatic community folks do that. Um, I'm not allowed. It, it's one of the things that absolutely drives me nuts. And it's like, okay, yes, they did not code or draw anything, but they're literally the ones that get it to market. So, you know, at the same time, yeah. I, I absolutely applaud teams that are able to get through uh, console platform compliance without the assistance of some kind of producer. Like those guys are the MVPs because uh, that process is 
nightmarish and uh you know um I, you know like th these are all things that i think consumers just don't understand which doesn't really matter like for that reason it doesn't bother me because eh. <laughs> so uh, okay so, yeah so galaxy is so much work sometimes to make the task because if there's no follow-ups it's like four times the work to manage that yeah, yeah. exactly like then it means that the work you did to set that process up in the first place, that in theory should have made it easier for everyone, was just wasted effort. And again, you have to do more work on top of that to to make it make it to fix it to fix it again. Yeah. So, for the teams out there that have never actually gone through console acceptance, and I think Nintendo Logic is probably the most notorious. Explain where that attention to detail comes in when you are submitting builds to these different processes. And basically they're all different, same sort of stuff, but they're all different. Explain a little bit of, of why that's important and why someone who is really good at that and specialized in it as a producer is going to be adding value. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like the real heroes in that situation are your like compliance QA. So the people who are doing QA on the project who know each platform's compliance regulations, I guess I don't really know uh, how else to describe it, like off by heart, and they can go into a game build and they can like see everything in there that will or will not pass each different platform because you know playstation has different things you need to do than nintendo than xbox then i mean steam doesn't really care but like there are some things that they'll be like mm, maybe don't do that um and yeah so while the qa people uh are doing like god's work in pointing out these things existing um if it doesn't get directed to the right people to fix or it doesn't get given the right level of priority because perhaps a programmer doesn't think that this icon changing to each different platform uh, to represent each different platform is a problem because they would rather just have the same icons on on each platform. Um, you know, someone has to be the person to explain to them, well, we're not going to get it on any platform if you don't if you don't change that. Um, so, yeah, not that I think anyone would be like that bullish, but maybe it happens. But yeah, it, it, it it's a absolutely one of those things that is far more important than a lot of people realize. But it, I think it's also interesting there that you brought up another point that people don't generally see behind the scenes, compliance QA, where that's not exactly the same as, as normal QA. No, because uh, so for us, we have functionality QA, which is what you would expect a regular QA is like, you know, making sure that when you look at the sun, the console doesn't turn off or, or whatever, you know, just something, you know, that's kind of just your normal functionality QA stuff that they have to deal with on a day to day basis. But compliance QA is obviously a complete different set of skills because they have lists and lists and lists and lists of things that platforms require you to do in the game to be allowed to exist on their platform and to be sold on their various different console stores. And those are things that uh, functionality QA are not going to be looking out for um and again there's localization qa as well um so like when you've been localized into german and all of the text is like coming off the end of the screen that's your localization uh, qa team picking that up uh and making sure that everything fits in the boxes that it's supposed to um 
very specialized guys and like very very necessary and all very good at what they do um to get stuff out on on platforms and like you say some care more than others nintendo specifically is known i think less because because it's like necessarily more i think it's not necessarily more demanding in terms of like what they want you to do to get on like nintendo eShop or like be on switch but like because they're just like slower and i think that the from my experience the process is a bit more like it's got more friction points and you never like have like one person that you're speaking to it's always it just kind of like goes into an inbox and <laughs> and you never know who's gonna reply um, oh god so, don't give me yeah. when we were doing it it was sony was always the worst about that part about how something gets rejected from person a and you go back and ask and person b is like no it's fine or it's the other way around it gets passed on yeah on b. it does happen yeah we had a really funny one on steam a couple of years ago where hilariously i think maybe the first time in history steam said no this is not past our compliance we were like excuse me and they what? sent uh they raised a, an issue with the game and we had the developers the qa team us um on the production team at the publisher all looking for this issue can't repro it um we send a message to steam saying hey um we're looking at this um issue that you raised uh we can't repro it can you provide some steps for us so we can find it and hopefully fix it and they didn't say anything they just approved it they just approved the build they didn't we didn't even get a reply so it can be as random as that on any platform sometimes and yeah that's why having someone to manage it is really good <laughs> so, so again years ago the, the bigger the, the problem with nintendo as well was if there were 15 things that had to be checked and you failed the second one they didn't check three through 15. you failed right go back and so you have to go resubmit hope that you know number two is correct and then hope there's nothing else in three through yep. 15 that yeah. are so i mean it is it's it's not as easy as a lot of people say oh okay well we finished our steam build and so now we're just going to hit a button and export hit, press, the the, press the button in unity that publishes it on playstation yeah exactly <laughs> it's, it's super super easy uh, all right, so Thomas says, oh, wait, hold on, Damn, I missed one. So what should someone applying to a production position expect to show in their application materials? Oh, wow, really good question. Mm. Um, we would, or oh, for me, I guess, in, in my opinion, since you asked me, um, <laughs> I, I, like I was scared about asking questions, uh, answering questions like this because I, I don't want to give the misconception that like my answer is the answer or the answer that everyone would give or that every place is is looking for. It's okay. Um, Just preface it with our with our catchphrase of it depends. It depends. <laughs> um, I think that if you can um, have a proven track record of delivering projects or if you are a graduate you have um worked on um different uh maybe uh uni projects or game jams um and you have become being part of that process from start to finish you have an understanding of different areas of the process of game development depending on which field you want to move into in in production um knowing um different uh oh my gosh not not like 
now I know I know this because I do this every day. Like it, you don't have to know agile. You don't have to know Scrum. You don't have to like what, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like the the process of of those things. I've literally done a talk on this before, and now I can't remember. Like um, oh God, project uh, management. Yeah, thingies. The <laughs> what's it called i can't remember yeah, what it's called it's now. not discipline see now no, i can't not think discipline. of either um methodologies methodologies yes so if you have an understanding and you just can prove you can prove that you know what different methodologies are that's pretty cool because that shows that you kind of know different ways to approach um helping facilitate a project development from different areas game uh, you know game developers love to say that they work in agile but like no they don't because like what game developers are working without a deadline um so you know and agile is just you know endless iteration so we do incorporate agile like elements of agile methodology in game development in the iteration is definitely the best way to get to a better product but there's still waterfall cutoff points because you still have to deliver here. You, you know, the budget will run out at some point, or people will only be available for a certain amount of time. So you, you know, you have to have a cutoff point somewhere. You can't just endlessly iterate. Um, that's a different conversation, though. Um, we're talking about uh, wanting to know what people look for in hiring producers. That's right. Um, yeah, just like a general understanding of like it doesn't even need to be team management because most uh producers probably don't manage a team they're just part of a, a team in a different way and that's another misconception actually i think lots of people think that producers are like managers or like their bosses um and some producers definitely act like that um a producer is like unless they're literally like you know your line manager they're not your boss and they don't have any authority over you um and they should and they shouldn't i think um they should just be an equal part of the process to get things on track but um yeah i think if you can um just demonstrate competency in like organization process communication um you know being social as like you know um being like a social person and showing a willingness uh and um, ability to talk to different people because you definitely will be just talking to people all day whether that's like by slack or email or on zoom or whatever um to ask them really stupid questions <laughs> you can't be afraid to ask stupid questions as a bridgie so that's literally all i do all day so um yeah does that answer the question i don't i don't know i said a lot of things there no, you, yes you did i mean a, a good producer the producers that i've worked with over the years uh, you bring up a very good point of, of they're not necessarily in charge of the team. They are a member of the team. That producer needs to be on your site. If something is running behind or it's not up to code or, or whatever, yes, they need to be able to call it out, but they mm -hmm. also need to be able to work with that team and find out what the issue is and help solve it instead of just like running directly to management and going, hey, uh, Dan is like so far behind on his programming that we're completely screwed and it's his fault and we should fix that. Yeah, because it, <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, you know, what does Dan need to succeed in his role and what have we not given Dan to help him achieve the, the tasks that we set him? Yeah, it's definitely and your fault. It's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but yeah, that, that that's the that's the big difference. Um, have you ever seen teams rebel against and fire the producer when they did not like the direction the producer was going, even when the producer was helping? Um, There's a good question coming here. I can see it on your face. Uh, how do I phrase this? I, I, uh, I've seen things um, <laughs> and heard things um, similar to the question um it obviously depends on the person right because i can i can come out here and say all producers are amazing and you will never fail to ship something on time with a producer which is obviously false um and i could even say all producers want to do is help you and they're all like you know coming with a with an open heart and uh, you know they want to empathize and understand because that's not true as well there's a lot of assholes out there and a lot of people who come into the production role because they think that it will make them the boss and people don't have a good time with that and uh yeah um i've seen things like that happen yeah. but it is a lot of, a lot of it is it's like any other position on the team if you yeah. you know college has a good example here you know someone who just shows up every day and basically irritates or destroys everybody's mood you know whether that's the producer or the art director or you know, whoever it may be. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's a, but a bad producer is going to get discovered. Yes. Quickly. Because often they have to operate in the open. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. I, uh, yeah. A bad producer, it'll be obvious. Cause you know, it, yeah sometimes things go wrong right and sometimes um there are many factors to um being unable to deliver on time or uh features not working as intended and um you know delays after delays and those things you know can be attributed to uh individuals in the team or they could be the fault of the producer or it could be no one's fault it could just be a culmination of those circumstances that everyone is trying really hard to avoid and learn from each time. And you could be being hit and beset with um, blockers from unexpected angles. Like, you know, uh, it, could, it could be stuff like engine uh, changes, like, you know, Unity putting out an update that breaks a feature in your game that they don't tell you an ETA for them fixing it. So you've got to decide whether, like, you know, do we wait? for them to fix it even though we don't have uh, a date that and it could be a month it could be six months or do we put time aside spend three months right now developing a workaround and then be three months delayed sometimes the, there's just horrible situations that come up that no one has an answer to and uh you know no matter what you do things will go wrong and maybe it's the problem of the producer but you know producers aren't like um, we do our best to like read the future, um, but we can't actually read the future. I, I feel like that was a good answer to the next question that I was going to ask. Hmm. And, you know, how do you deal, prevent, or you just basically approach crunch when you're the producer? Yeah. Um, so, like, one of the things that I would do uh, when I was in the studio and development studio is. Um, I would try and add as much um, like buffer time as I could 
get away with um, before like our um, stakeholders noticed. So, um, you know, time that's not necessarily not necessarily allocated to any particular discipline or any particular task that obviously um, may cost the project, um, you know, may increase the, uh, the cost of the project or lengthen development time. But I know that something's going to go wrong somewhere. You know, what if someone gets sick and we can't replace them uh, or someone leaves and we can't replace them? Uh, what if there is a technical failure that we cannot get around or we need to spend time to get around? What if one of the features we planned that we thought was going to be awesome just absolutely sucks and we have to spend time to redesign that? Things are just going to happen and you never know what those things are. So all you can do is do your best to add in as as much um, contingency time as you can get away with. So are, how are you doing on time? Because I know you have a very important event to get to. I do. Um, let me just double check. Um, I well, we've I got one know. super important question. I mean, yeah. this is like the header of all of everything right here. Hmm. As a producer with Square Enix, what do you think would be a game changer with RPG titles? Okay. Um, so this is actually a great question because it gives me an opportunity to clarify exactly um, what team I work on at Square Enix, um, because this is a huge misconception that people who book meetings with us don't really know what we do. Um, so yeah, I work with uh, Square, um, but Square, I work on the Square Enix collective team. And what we are is we're Square Enix's indie publishing label. So I don't work on the big fancy Japanese role play games. Uh, I don't work on Life is Strange. I don't work on Outriders. I don't work on Marvel games. Um, I work on the better games, objectively. Um, you work on the, the good stuff. Games. I work on the good stuff. Um, I say this as someone who's been playing Final Fantasy since I was like eight years old as well. Um, and Final Fantasy 16, oh, it looks so good. But um, yeah, so our team, we uh, scout um, games made by indie studios all over the world um, and do our best to find cool titles, um, invest in those teams for them to be made, and we help publish them um, on whatever platforms the team want. For example, uh, our title, Little Goody T-Shoes, there's my sewing machine in the background, awesome, <laughs> um, which is a title we announced in August that um, we picked up. and. Um, yeah, it means that we get to work on RPGs, but we also get to work on stuff like Power Wash Simulator, Game of the Air, I think so. Um, we get to work on games like Circuit Superstars, which is a top-down racing game for most sports fans. Uh, we've worked on visual novels, we've worked on tactical RPGs, we, we work on all kinds of things from like so many talented teams from all over the globe. And uh, so I love RPGs, like, you know, um, I do work at Square, so I do love RPGs. But um... and a little bit of top secret information: right before this, Lauren was actually playing Circuit Superstars. I was. <laughs> I was playing Circuit I'm Superstars. I'm calling you out. I'm calling you out <laughs> for no reason. For no reason. <laughs> oh, I saw because on your Discord it says playing Circuit Superstars. Does, I'm yeah. Like, oh. yeah. But you have to. I mean, that was one of the comments I just made in Discord. It's, it's mm -hmm. like one of the things that I always look for in a good producer is someone who plays a lot of games and not just like one genre and not just video games. I want somebody who plays card games and uh, tabletop games and all that sort of stuff too. Um, all right. So we got time for one, maybe two more questions before we're going to let you go. But this one 
has jumped out at me, mm-hmm. and I really I think it's an an important one. Um, let's see, what we don't have it here. Is it Discord? I see that communication skills, attention to detail, and organization skills are often listed, but it definitely feels like it is something easier to show off in an interview rather than like with a portfolio or a resume submission. For context, I'm a designer at my current studio, but I also act as associate producer since we're small. I'm applying to production jobs as our studio is losing funding. So I'm trying to figure out how the best approach to the job search is going to be from this perspective. Mm. Um, If you've already worked as part of a team, then you obviously have an understanding of what the processes are. I think leading with, um, you know, your role as a designer, but what part did you play or what is your understanding in, you know, the overall piece of the pie that you were part of the whole pie? I don't know what I'm saying. Um, It's really good when people come from other roles because I think it gives them uh, context of what it feels like to be on on the other side of the fence. And you can come in with your own unique Uh, perspective about what would have made your job easier and how would your job have more easily fit into the 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 whole um the whole production or the production as a whole um and in in terms of so i don't have a portfolio um my cv is just like uh the places that i worked um which is sort of like minimal bit and then I list the projects that I worked on and my key responsibilities on each of those projects um as well as like you know my like uh soft skills and and hard skills and then I try and do most of my big talk in the cover letter um you know my understanding again understanding of methodologies of process of what it takes to deliver and how I was able to um what's the phrase, like, uh, how I was able to uh, do my job and um, as part of one part of something created by many. I'm not very eloquent today. I'm so sorry, guys. Um, it's I don't Monday, even know it's that. fine. You're fine. It is Monday. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So one more and we're going to let you go. And I think this is, we're getting some really good questions in here. And yeah. I appreciate it. So, um, Popsicles the Elder on Discord says, besides project management methodologies and some of the core stuff that we've talked about in terms of what are you looking for, what are some of the other disciplines you draw from to be a good producer that might surprise some people? Oh, um, that's a really, really good question. Um, I think everyone who has experience in any discipline can use their skills to be a like unique and effective producer so um, my colleague Tom um, he was um, he came from an art background um, and you know like a game art background and he has like such a unique perspective on um, giving like feedback and being understanding the process uh, of a game's like art pipeline that I just don't have and it'll be the same with a programmer like if a programmer is looking at as from or someone who used to be a programmer is a producer now and they're working on a a, a production plan they'll just automatically get a sense for um how long programming tasks take like what it what is like the um you know how much um 
what's like the engineering overheads going to be on a game that is a single player versus multiplayer like on online etc etc um they're just going to have so much more of an informed opinion that will allow them to give more accurate estimates in those particular areas which is like a huge a huge boon um something that i think again uh people who come from qa they have a massive massive advantage when they become producers and they learn the craft of production because like QA is such an important part of the process that maybe uh, some people forget, although maybe pe maybe people don't forget it who work in development, maybe gamers as uh, consumers forget it. Um, I don't think anyone who works in production takes that for granted though. Um, but um, but yeah, like they know what it's going to be like as part of that process and they're going to have much more of an eye for detail when they get builds in on milestone reviews or if they're working in a development studio if they're at the end of their sprint like they'll have a much more keen idea of you know how much is left to do in in the in the qa process or the bug fixing process or the polishing process that they can more accurately provide estimates for the rest of um the production plan which is just so cool and awesome and i, I wish i had a single skill honestly i wish i did um but i do my best i do my best well, Lauren, thank you so much for coming on and, and doing this because it's it's fantastic. You're you're awesome at what you do, and we all appreciate the the tidbits of knowledge. Is there anything that you want to plug before we roll out? Um, put me on the spot. Um, go and we have a Twitter account which is like Square Enix Collective, and also um. The game Little Goody Two Shoes is made by the team Astral Shift, so you could follow them on Twitter. They have a Discord competition going on at the moment as well. Uh, please be excited. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't really, I'm not here to plug anything. So um, you guys do what you like. <laughs> <laughs> well, if if anyone has any more further questions, Lauren's got a very important event to get to right now, but she <laughs> is on our Discord server, so you can ask. We have an entire production channel right there. We also have tons of other very good producers in there as well that can answer your questions but as always want to thank our friends over at tripwire presents for you know helping us make this happen um you all have been fantastic in supporting igb uh and lauren thank you so much no We're thank gonna... you jay and dan thank you so much for having me it's been a pleasure talking to you guys honestly you're always welcome to come back uh, tape drive. The Discord is discord.gg slash indie game business. Just Google indie game business. I promise you a lot of stuff is going to come up. Um, and if you are coming in late, this is always available on our YouTube on the podcast. And with that, we're going to let everybody go. Thank you much. And we will see you next week. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.